This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here, go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game today. We're looking for a diamond in the rough in the hard market. We may have found one. I got the CEO of iRee, Mr. Andy Jekylls, with us, and we're going to talk about the cool stuff that his company is doing in the hard market to help your agency and your clients weather the storm. What's up, Andy? How we doing? Nice doing? to be here. Yeah, I'm doing good, man. You're uh, Are you over in, in England right now? Um, I'm in London right now. I'm just back from New York and New Hampshire, actually, uh, last week. There you go. Well, I got to tell you that I was in Munich last weekend for Oktoberfest, and I know how crazy it felt to be six hours ahead over there, man. So I'm going to do my best to be gentle with you on the podcast (laughs) today, especially if you just got back from New York. Because it still hasn't hit me yet. I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop, and it's going to drop, yeah. and I'm going to crash face first into my pillow. So which? So I mean, okay, you were in Alaska a few weeks back, which was six hours or five hours, I think, right behind us here in Florida, Eastern. Is that right? Alaska was, was four. Alaska or, was four hours behind. Okay, four. Okay, and then Munich and then, was six hours ahead. Six, right. Which was worse? Alaska so far. It was harder for me to deal with Alaska coming back to regular time than it was for me to be ahead because I go to bed early anyhow. So if I stayed up till like 11 or 12 over there, it was like me going to bed at seven here. True. Six six or seven. So it wasn't terrible, but you know, (laughs) it it, it also didn't help me the any that I got back. And then the very next day, hit a plane to go to Kansas city, which is another hour behind. So I went from <laughs> yeah six hours ahead to an hour behind in like 24 hours. And it was just, it was crazy, but I wouldn't trade it, man. It was a great experience. Absolutely loved Munich, loved Oktoberfest. The people were great. The town was great. The food was great. The beer was great. Everything. So I'll be back. What was your favorite beer tent? What was your favorite um, beer? You know, I would say that um, now over here, we call it Lowenbrow. Over there, it's Lewin Brew. So 
that that was probably my favorite, and for no I other reason, for no other reason than they were just getting after it, man. Like it was, <laughs> it was everything you expected of Oktoberfest encapsulated in one tent. All the drinking songs, all the standing on the table, chugging the massive Stein. Everybody was just having a good time. We even talked about it before we jumped on the last podcast we recorded last hour. I was really, really surprised that we didn't see like any fist fights or anything like uh, that. These they, they, they all, you know, and we were saying just man, over there getting wrecked, having a good time. They <laughs> are, and they know what they're getting into. And it, right. it's like I told. I told them, like, and vice versa, if we were to go to the county fair with that amount of alcohol here in Tampa, oh, Florida, God. I can't even imagine the fallout from that. People be fighting and, and killing everything. People are doing that without the alcohol. Yeah, it's crazy. So I haven't seen this one, Lou and Brew. I have not seen that in any yeah. of, the, of the stores that I frequent. <laughs> no, it used to be, like, they used to um, have ads on mainstream media when I was a kid, hmm. but... You know, I think it's interesting. You learn a lot if you go over there under the right context. And to me, the right context was don't go get hammered at Oktoberfest every day. I wanted to go enjoy the experience, take in as much as I could. But also, you know, that's the first time I'd ever been to Europe. So I wanted to see a lot of the history and the other things that were around. So I did what any red-blooded American would do and took the double-decker bus tour around and paid attention and all of that. And, and it was interesting to me that... um you're not allowed to serve beer in Oktoberfest if you're not one of the six breweries that brews your beer in Munich. You have to be a Munich brewery to serve your beer mm. at Oktoberfest. And the other thing that's interesting is even though they have a variety of beers, if you don't tell them what you want, you're getting their Oktoberfest beer. They brew a special brew for Oktoberfest. It's a little higher in alcohol, a little darker, you know, darker beer, but um, mm. you know, if you if you're somebody who's a beer aficionado and you want to taste it as opposed to guzzle it, pretty interesting experience. It was good. I enjoyed it. If you just want to go guzzle beer, you're in the right place too because they give you <laughs> beer and lots of it. I think the thing that probably was the most interesting, more than anything else to me, was how a five foot two hundred and five pound woman can carry like a dozen and a half. That's what beer I was. Oh man, I was time. just gonna ask you, dude. Oh. I saw I saw a video on like Instagram the other day. I, I imagine it was from Oktoberfest, but it was oh yeah, tiny little blonde girl carrying thirteen. I think it was thirteen. They said it was because she stacked. She had six in each hand, stacked them, and then put another one in the middle on the top stack. And it was like, I mean, and, and like you sent me the, the the video or whatever. They're not pints. <laughs> they are like literal pitchers of beer. They're leaders. They're, yeah, they're leaders. Right. So, and I mean, that could not have been an easy, I've done it a million times, but I would spill it all over the place. Well, my view is until you've walked into a beer tent the size of a football pitch, <laughs> people standing on a trellis table doing We Will Rock You to an umbar band. <laughs> you lived, right? That's before you're drinking. Yeah, right. or or Sweet Caroline, or Be My Girl, or any you know Country Roads. Like it was yeah. literally the same stuff we would be doing here in That's college or whatever. And and he's not they, kidding, man. They it, were playing it, that stuff though. Oh yeah, yeah. everybody's okay. singing it. Hmm. And and you go in and it's elbow to elbow. Uh, yeah, you know you can't. It, it's it's just 
Everybody, if you have the opportunity to go to Oktoberfest, I highly recommend it. I also highly recommend you spend the next few minutes learning about Irie because that's really why Andy's here. I mean, we could probably share stories about Europe. All Kyle, we should ask if he knows Simon Leo, right? That would even make that would make this the best. But for sure, I know he doesn't. Um, but talk a little bit, Andy, about your background, and then let's get into Irie and talk about what the problem is that you're looking to solve in the in the insurance world and how you're going about it. Uh, so, yeah, my, well, my name's Andy Jekylls. I'm uh, co-CEO, co-founder of Irie, um, alongside my business partner, Rupert Taylor. And um, we put Irie together. We started underwriting January 1st, 2019. And it's a product that uh, our product's called Repaid. Um, and it's really designed to help clients turn premiums into profit. And when we're talking to brokers, I think that's a really important thing is I think if you are a broker and you put your clients like long-term interests first, if you can give them something that can really help them, um, they'll not only buy from you, they'll repay you with their long-term loyalty. And um, that's what this product's been designed to do. Now, it's not for every sort of client. Um because what we are, we're just we're just underwriters. We are insurance and reinsurance underwriters. And what we're doing is empowering, you know, a certain type of client, a certain type of business owner um, to take risk and earn reward. And so um, that means it's not really suitable for every sort of client. It really is aimed at clients that are the best of the best. And so what we mean by that is what we call high-performing mid-market clients. So clients paying significant amounts of premium, um, $250,000 per line of business upwards. Our average premium is about $900,000, sometimes a bit less. And uh, with loss ratios of less than 40%. So it really is like the top performers. We like those kind of owner-manager businesses where the principal's close to the day-to-day operations. We like multi-generational family-run businesses. You know, we, we we see this almost direct correlation between those sorts of privately-owned businesses which are investing for the long-term and have a sort of a strong set of values, you know, that are close to their workforce and, and to the supply chain and to the client base and to the day-to-day operations. We see this correlation between high profit margin and low loss ratio. Now, the reason for that is they're squeezing risk out of their operating environment, and that's what enables them to compete in American marketplace. Um, and the, otherwise, that risk erodes their profit margin. And so if you're looking after those operating risks, you're also... Right, reducing your loss ratios. And so the average uh, loss ratio that comes into our program is just a shade under 20%. Um, so it really is kind of like the best of the best. And the reason we focus on those clients is because they're the ones who've got a problem. And what they will tell us, every one of them, and we write and underwrite a very diverse set of clients all across America. So there's no real homogeneity at all across our portfolio we look for diversity but the one thing they all have in common is that they will tell us that they hate buying insurance that's not some sort of polite british dislike from over here in london that is a visceral american hate 
<laughs> and, and I, th- I know, and I think I, I think I get it, right? Because if you imagine, if you're paying out a million dollars a year in insurance premiums, and you're never having claims of more than two hundred thousand dollars, you're looking at that and thinking either my insurance company is making an absolute fortune out of me, or they're taking my money and they're using that to spend on somebody else's claims. And that's not fair. And by the way, I've got no control. So if I'm running my own business, I do, you're master of your own universe, right? You know, you control everything. And you would think that an insurance company would take into account the opinions and the, if you like, the experience on the ground when it comes to claims. What what they believe, the clients, is that they're getting claims disputed that they think should be paid and they're also getting claims paid that they think should be defended vigorously um and they never have a voice in that claims handling process they've got literally no control and i think that's one of the other things that massively frustrates them no say no input things are happening their money's being spent where they don't think it should be right and and, and someone's making huge amounts of money out of them or they're subsidising somebody that's not running their business as well as they are. So they're frustrated and I think it's unfair. So that's really what the programme is, is, is designed for, those sorts of clients. And what we do is we call our programme Repaid and it's this risk and reward plan. And in essence, there are three simple steps. So step one, um, the clients um, get exactly the same insurance coverage that they've always have. So we're a broker-only market. We work with brokers. We underwrite commercial PNC insurance, um, and we underwrite those insurance policies on behalf of A-rated um, domestic U.S. carriers. So we work with Fortegra on the front end for general liability and for property. We do five million limits, and, the, and it's an ENS policy with an ISO wording. Everything's pretty much the same. We um, same coverage, same deductibles, actually same price. We don't really compete on price. What we're doing is we're just the underwriting process is designed to give them as much credit as possible for their good risk management practice, and we're looking for clients that are good and not just lucky. Um, and on workers' comp, we on, uh, we underwrite on behalf of PMA companies. We're part of Old Republic, so that's an A-rated, admitted policy, filed rates, filed um, uh, wordings, uh, filed forms. And so um, everything at that stage is exactly the same as normal. So what you've got is a client with the same coverage. If they need more limit than we're able to offer, there's a layered program placed on top of that. So step two, the client really chooses how much risk they want to take. Now, in the background, what's going on is we, IRE, are taking a primary exposure from Fortegra and from PMA into our reinsurance company, Bermuda. Right? And then we're ultimately giving that risk and the benefit of the, that risk, the, the underwriting profit, to the clients. So the clients get a say in the whole thing. They get to select how much risk they want to take. So we'll quote them a number of options, and that will be for a primary exposure 
above any existing deductible. So typically the child clients will choose between $250,000 and $500,000 exposure per claim. Now, they're going to take that risk, but it's going to be a limited amount of risk for a limited amount of time. So they don't pay more than the first $250,000. Above that, it stays with our insurer partner. Now, there's also a, a limit for the total amount of claims, an aggregate limit, and that's normally for four times the any one occurrence limit. So if it's a $500,000 any one occurrence, it'll be a $2 million limit. Now, everything's all built in. It's one simple integrated solution. So every reinsurance mechanism that any commercial insurance company uses is built into our program. And it also has what we call a reinsurance to close mechanism. So all liabilities are commuted, novated, right, after five years. So client joins in one of our underwriting years. At the end of that underwriting years, five years later, we take all those liabilities away for them. So now what that means is the client knows exactly how much risk they're taking and for how long. And for things like GL and workers' comp, where there's a longer tail, right, that becomes very important for them. Um, they do have to put up some collateral. Um, but the exciting bit comes with step three. So step three, the clients will get back out of their the insurance premiums that they've paid literally hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of dollars. Um, now, what we do as IRE is we um, retain those premiums uh, for 18 months after the end of the underwriting year they attach you. We pay out all their claims. Um, we put a little bit like reserve on that so there will be premiums, less claims paid, less um, a, a, like a loss reserve, which is outstanding plus incurred but not reported claims, which is actuarial set. And then we start paying the client um, some underwriting profit. And they can take that risk um, in a captive insurance company that they can own, which can be a really simple mechanism to set up, relatively low cost, very quick, um, and now they can be up and running with their own captive, with their own premiums, generating their own underwriting profit. And those under, though, though, that underwriting profit can accumulate very quickly year after year. But particularly because the clients now get direct involvement in the handling of their claims. Now, they're not on their own. There's program loss adjusters, Gallagher Bassett uh, and PMA. Uh, who, who are the third-party administrators, right? And uh, there's also program lawyers, Wilson Elsa, right? And everything's managed as any insurance claim should be. And obviously, the how loud their voice is depends on the line of business that they're underwriting. So it's really a whisper with things like workers' comp because there's a certain set of things that have to happen in a prescribed way, otherwise it prejudices the client's claim. And all that happens for them. Um, but for things like property, obviously you've got a client paying their own claims for their own properties out of their own money. So they get a much louder uh, voice and a greater influence over the claims handling. So what all that's doing is empowering that client. They can manage profit in their captive. And what we find is that even though 
our clients are performing at the very best loss ratios in the industry. So if you think a benchmark loss ratio might be 65%, it's generally accepted to be. A lot of the time, you know, that gets exceeded, frankly. Um, but our loss ratio, based on gross written premium, is just a shade over 5%, um, which is unbelievable in terms of, unbelievably good in terms of the a benchmark for the industry. But it's nothing we're doing that's clever. That is the power of empowering clients to take risk and earn reward and get a real say in the way their claims are handled and have them managing their own, you know, like commercial insurance company, like a little captive, a privately owned insurance company that that, that they own and control, and they're managing their underwriting profit to you know, deliver optimum results. So in essence, that's how the program works. Yeah, well, in essence, that's what they should be doing, whether they're in a guaranteed cost program or what you're offering anyhow, right, is managing their business to be the most profitably it can be. Problem is, a lot of people don't. And I think it's interesting, um, you know, I always talk about this. My mind shift started when I moved from being a producer to being an agency principal, because when I was a producer, all I cared about was producing didn't matter what, didn't matter how clean or dirty it was or anything else. Once I started having to worry about, you know, profit sharing bonuses and maintaining loss ratios for carriers to keep them happy and everything else, I looked at it a lot differently and, and do today. You know, I look at, at business through a much different lens as the agency principal than I do as a producer. And, and I highlight that because we do have a lot of producers who listen to the podcast but may not yet be thinking about why stuff like this is important. And so, you know, one of the questions that I would have for you to get out in front of everybody, because I know this is a question they're going to have is what are some things that if I'm a producer out on the streets and I'm thinking maybe I want to find some type of alternative risk transfer for my client, whether it be a captive or a, a protected cell captive or a high deductible or whatever, what are what are some things I I would be seeing or I should be looking for in my accounts that are going to tip me off to say you know what this is one I should probably talk to Andy about. What are the things I'm going to see in my book that are predictors? The simple answer is that high performing mid market client. But I think what our program does for producers is something remarkable because we operate in a world where the product, the insurance product is pretty much homogenous. No one has any differentiation. The conversation is one where you have a producer who's essentially trying to compete based on price and service. And every other broker is at least promising excellent service. So everybody's trying to attack price. And what you've actually got to do is unseat an established relationship. So what you're really doing is trying to get somebody else what you're waiting for them to fail more than you are going out there and winning it often, right? And the thing that will change that game is if you can go in with an actual point of difference, if you can change the conversation for your clients and say to them, there's a completely different way of looking about uh, looking at this. Let's take what for you is an aggrieved purchase, 
right? You know you're spending huge amounts of money on insurance. You know you've only got a little, a few claims, right? Why don't you back yourself? Why don't you put your own money where your mouth is and you take that share of the profit that you're earning for somebody else? Because right now, I think the conversation is, if you imagine, right, you are basically taking a huge pile of money, putting it in the corner of the room and setting fire to it. And what you could do is take that risk yourself, take that the commensurate amount of premium for that risk yourself and make underwriting profit. And you can turn an aggrieved um, purchase into a profit center, almost like this sort of new toy. And I think our program can do two things. One, for clients that successfully come in, it can be transformational in the way that that client views insurance. It will engender long-term loyalty. Right? Entering into this sort of deal is a strategic decision. And what it means is you will take your most valuable clients, right, the ones paying big premiums with small claims, and you will increase their lifetime value. But more importantly, any client of that kind of profile is going to want to take your call. I think we've got the greatest door opener there is out there, something that can change the paradigm. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Yeah, you'd mentioned a few minutes ago that you're looking for people who are good and not lucky. Like, how do you determine that? Because my father-in-law, who's been in business for 31 years, would claim that he's good because he hasn't really had any claims. But I, I would say that he's lucky because he doesn't have shit in place from a risk management perspective. So what um, what do you guys use to determine that? So, I mean, obviously, right, you know, anyone will take lucky, right? You want lucky clients, right? You just want them to be good as well, right? And so ultimately, like a long-term loss history, you know, five, 10 years or more, right? Like normally a client, if they're good, it will be reflected in that loss history. But what they will look at, the, our underwriting team, that is, is they'll go much deeper. Right? They, they, they put together a complete risk profile for every client. Every client um, essentially does a telephonic interview with Teams now, a video call. And um, we have our uh, claims and risk management department actually talk to them about what's going on in their business. So what you have is people that are not doing just pure loss control, as in you can be forced to pay some money for somebody to come in and tell you what you already know. What we're actually doing is listening and we're asking the questions that are based on for a client with this risk profile, where are claims likely to come from and what are you doing to prevent that? So we're re- and we're looking at all their for instance, we'll look at lots of their loss experiences. We'll look at the workers' comp as an as an indicator, even if we're only writing property. Um, we'll do things like look at all their OSHA manuals, all their risk management manuals, everything that they've put together. We'll look at that company in the round. And the difference is when they are actually active, you know, when, when they've actually can prove they've got a hands-on approach to managing risk in their business, then they will get the commensurate reward for that. It will directly impact 
one, their top level insurance premium that they're paying at the front. And bear in mind, that's just a piece of paper. No one knows what's going on in the background, right? But they then get in the background, which no one gets to see, is there's a, a really large amount of premium coming back to the client, right? And the amount of that premium that they get that is directly impacted by what risk management they're doing and how they're managing risk in their business. Um, so, I mean, that's it's all done on a case-by-case basis, actually talking to clients. Well, you just gave an answer that was picture perfect for what I wanted you to say and didn't even realize you were doing it. But, I mean, people that are listening to this, this is why you hear us talk about using mineral. This is why you hear us talk about using KPA. It's not this simple is answering on the accord form. We have a formal safety program. Yes or no. It Mm -hmm. even goes a step further than turning in a copy of a safety manual that is allegedly in place. The absolute best underwriters are going to want you to prove it. You got to prove that you're actually doing it. Yeah, sure. Great. You've got five years of minimal losses. Oh, you have a safety manual. Awesome. What are you doing with that information? What kind of training program do you have? What happens when you hire somebody? How are they onboarded? What's the process they go through? What type of learning management system do you have for training to capture that people are actually going through it? Are you testing them to make sure that they comprehend the information that's in that module so that they're not just sitting there watching a video that's going in one year and out the next? You actually have a fighting chance that when they have to make a split-second decision, defensive driving that they're going to remember that nugget that they got from the training program. And this is one of the reasons why you've heard me talk in the past about how we do our submissions, specifically do submissions on video. I don't want an underwriter just to see, you know, what we're doing. I want them to see how we're doing it and prove that we actually are. So from an underwriting perspective, when I tell somebody that we are, we have a fleet safety program in place, I'm not just going to say, hey, look, we have a fleet safety program in place. You should give me coverage and give me the best rates possible. I'm going to tell them that we do have fleet safety. I'm going to show them an example of what our fleet safety program looks like. I'm going to give them a copy of the fleet safety manual. I'm going to give them the transcripts from our learning management system showing that all active drivers have completed that training with date and timestamps. And I'm going to send them the resume of the young lady that I have working in my office that's a technology liaison from my agency to my clients to make sure that we're monitoring the utilization reports of all the software we give them to make their risk better. There's not an underwriter out there that if I provide that level of documentation along with clean loss runs and accurate exposures that aren't going to be jumping up and down to write business for us at good rates because we're not just telling them what they want to hear. Here's what I learned about underwriters a long time ago. They know you're lying. <laughs> they know you're trying to they know you're trying to polish the turd. They know that you're trying to make it look way better than it is. So you have to remove all doubt from their mind before they ever have a chance to ask the question. And guess what? You may not hit everything, but if I were an underwriter and I had 10 bullet points that I wanted to see on every account and I got a submission that clearly addresses nine of them, probably not going to have a ton of heartburn when I have to ask the question on number 10. But if I have to ask you all 10 questions before I even could get through the submission, probably not a good prospect for my company or me as an underwriter. It's not what we're looking for. 
Or you can tick yes on the accord form, say see safety manual, get out the lever arch file, blow a quarter of inch of dust on it and slap it down on the desk. Yeah, that's what we see all the time. And we know that. I mean, here's the thing. Producers, this this is where the hypocrisy in our industry comes in, because a producer will go out and they will drive a wedge by talking about how the incumbent isn't providing this, isn't doing that. And they'll do it to get the deal done. And it stops there. They never do anything to make it any better. So two years down the line, performance hasn't improved. Market hardens. It's even more difficult to get quotes and coverage placed, but you really don't have any options. And this is where insurance really is still a people business. Right. You know, if you get people and um, you can see the whites of their eyes and you answer the difficult, you ask the difficult questions and you ask them to provide in-depth information exactly as you're talking about, you will get a far, far, far better result. Right. You, you that, That's how you identify the best clients. You're saying by Absolutely. going out and like physically meeting with them. Would you do it over video? This yeah. is the, well, this yeah. is, but just thing, not we, over the, we, not we over the phone. Do. Yeah, yeah, we actually do video submissions. Right. I want to walk in. I'll capture every dusty corner I can find. I don't care. <laughs> the underwriter already knows that there could be issues in an account. I just want them to know that I know those issues are there. I see them and tell them, what here, here are the things we're going to do to fix it. But I want to be clear. If you're an agent that's got a dog for an account and you think that putting it into some sort of a you know loss sensitive program, whether it be captive or otherwise, is going to fix it, that never fixes the problem. It only magnifies it. This isn't for you to have a crappy risk just to find a home for it so you can write more business. This is for you to take the best performing risks from your book of business that are already clean and just suffering because of the hard market conditions. They're financially solvent enough that they can take a little bit of financial risk on their own, and you're giving an opportunity, giving them an opportunity to maybe take a little more risk than what a guaranteed cost program is going to have, but they also have the opportunity to share in the profits on the back end. That's called risk and reward. That's how life works. But you don't just yeah. take a you don't take a a sawmill that's had four guys sever their left arm <laughs> and think, oh, I'll just throw that in a captive, and all of a sudden it, it's it's all right. Eh, but it, anyhow, the interesting thing, left arm, all right. <laughs> Come on, guys, you got to work with me here. The interesting thing about that, David, is when you are on a call with a client and you offer them a deal where they're taking risk, a significant amount of risk, albeit for a significant amount of premium, if they don't believe that they're good, if they think they've just been lucky, they won't take the deal. Are there people that I I see? I just think that all these people think that they are good and that they're not lucky. Like, I, I mean, how many, how many people are you running into out there that are just think that, that think they're just lucky? I, I would, I, I feel like it's so skewed the other way, just from people that I've talked to, they're like, oh, no, we haven't had any claims We're we got it all buttoned up. It's like, dude, I just saw a freaking saw laying on the floor of your showroom. Like, I, I, I think that is dictated at that moment when it's put up or shut up, when you're actually asking somebody to take risks. When, when when you're actually talking about money, when they realise it's insurance and they could lose money, um, I think that's really what filters everybody. That's fair. Because um, up till then, you're just aggrieved, right? It's not, yeah, it's not real. Up until then, like, if you imagine where you are now, I'm spending a million dollars 
I've never had more than $200,000 uh, in claims. You're a broker and you walk in, in, in into my office and then you're going to ask me for a $200,000 increase, right? That's a hard market. Why would I? I mean, I, I, I can't fail to be but offended. But if I then think, do you know what? I've got some pretty big risks in there. You know, when you're talking about sawmill, would you do it? You wouldn't, would you? You wouldn't, you know, those sawmills and and those sorts of risks, unless they are absolutely perfect, and we don't do sawmills, but that sort of risk, unless they absolutely know that their environment is good, that their workforce is on side, that, that they're managing their environment and their people are managing that environment. Right, I think that that's the moment of truth. Yeah, hundred percent. Do you have a safety committee? Yes or no? Okay, that's where most people stop. How often do you meet? What do you do in those meetings? What are the types of things you cover? Where do you get the information for your topics? Are you looking at accident reports and incident reports and coming up with ways to prevent those things from happening in the future? Do you keep minutes of the meetings? What do you do with those minutes? Do you distribute them out to everybody in the corporation? I mean, I could go for days on all the questions that I ask and that we should be asking. The reality of the matter is, you know, Andy, when you move to the middle market, when you're in that, you know, 500,000 to whatever, you know, you're dipping your toe into the upper portion of the middle market before you get into national accounts at that point. Not every producer thinks that way. Most of the time it's, well, let me find a home for this. Let me get it placed quick and move on. The other thing is they don't have the ability to have the financial conversation to show the people the time value of money and why this makes sense. Well, I know that you do a lot of work with some, I mean, our program's not for distressed clients. But let's say you've got a high EMOG, right? You can put that client on a journey to reduce that, to rehabilitate them, and, and eventually end up in a program like ours where they're getting the reward for all the effort that they've put in to reduce that EMOG. Well, you're 100% right. That's exactly what I was going to say. We do deal with distressed clients, but we try not to leave them distressed. We, <laughs> we need to give them a carrot that we can dangle that says, look, this is not something that's going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in a year. It's probably not going to happen in two years. But in three years, as you start seeing relief, and in four or five years where you're operating on all, you know, clicking on all cylinders, operating clean in a clean environment, this is what you have to look forward to. Show them some level of incentive. Don't show them just what insurance is going to cost them. Show them what they can make back if they actually take the thing seriously. Because when you are dealing with distressed clients, one of the issues you have is getting them to fund the activities necessary to make themselves better. And a lot of people don't want to spend money unless they can see a path to getting that money returned. Insurance in and of itself isn't always the best predictor of that because there's a lot of times where insurance carriers are not going to give them the reduced rates. The market could harden. Any number of other things could happen. So when you have alternatives you can look at, they're going to help you you know, save money when you can't really save in other places. You need to get that out there and give that as, a, as an incentive for people to work toward that goal as quickly as possible while setting realistic expectations and benchmarks along the way. Well, and I think the end of that journey, I mean, we're, we're, our clients are kind of like the end of that journey, right? Correct. So, what you have is people that are improving, improving, improving. And then we've got clients that we underwrite. Now, what they're interested in, above all right now, is price stability. 
right? You do not want these, you know, wildly increasing, decreasing, unpredictable insurance costs every year. And when you enter in a program like ours, I'm sure there are inflationary factors, right? But what, what we do is create as much price stability as we possibly can. Like we, we have, you know, not always, but relatively flat renewals. Um, and we do that because you're stepping outside of the marketplace, you know, you're, you are backing yourself. You're proving that the premium levels and the premiums that you're getting back to yourself are correct, right? And sometimes improving. And 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 I think that's a very important thing right now. I mean, clients are facing huge amounts of volatility, and that affects their bottom line. They don't want that. So if I if I'm an agent that's going out there and I get in front of one of these prospects, that's paying a million in, in premiums who hasn't had more than 200,000 in claims over the past five, 10 years. Yeah. How, what do I do to, to uh, get that in front of you and get you involved? Well, what we operate is business as usual for brokers, right? I mean, what you, we have like an application form. We'll take in the accord forms. We'll take a download from their agency management system. So they only have to input all the information once. We'll put all that information on our own application form, can fill in any blanks. We'll just steer them through the process. So all they've really got to do is email us and we'll, we'll start that process for them. I mean, one of the disadvantages of our program is it is alternative risk transfer. There is more to know and understand than just getting an insurance policy and getting a cheap price. Um, and we will take the brokers and hold their hands through that process, onboarding them, Helping them on board to their clients, you know. For most of our most of our brokers, they chair and coordinate the whole client relationship. But they'll get us in to help present terms. You know, we really will help them step by step, all the way through that quote and bind process. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you have a. I mean, I know that this is still relatively new. You guys haven't been out there that long. Do you have any big success stories you can share at this point? Um, well, we've just agreed um, the renewal of our largest case, which is just a little over four million dollars. So, as far as I'm concerned, that's a, <laughs> that's a success story. Yeah, I mean, l- l- what we do is, and I would encourage if if brokers like to reach out and they just shoot us an email, I can put them on our uh, mailing list. And we send out on LinkedIn and by email regular uh, examples of what we've been underwriting so they can see, you know, where is this client, what line of business, how much premium did they pay, how much premium did they get back, just to really, you know, examine a variety of like different risks and so they know where the client is and what they do. And it just triggers um, a broker to say, oh, I think I've got a client like that. Um, And so we've had reasonable success uh, doing just that, just the simple things, really. I think that's what everybody needs, the simple things done well. So what's on the horizon for Irie? What are you excited about? What have we not touched on so far? Um, We are building a lot more infrastructure in Bermuda around our insurance company. We've got some exciting developments coming out there. Um, we're certainly looking towards some product development. We're very interested in that professional liability space to really to complement a lot of what we do in the sort of healthcare sector. Um, 
nothing surgical or like you know invasive. So we're, look, we're we're looking at that. I think that's very exciting. We're also doing a lot of work to build much taller towers of coverage, really to make ourselves much more of a one-stop shop uh, for a broker. So a regional broker can come in and we can get not just a five million limit but a, a full limit for them uh, on either the property or the geo. So you, that, the, that's all the things that are being introduced in the last quarter of this year, building up to 1-1. One, one. Cool. Um, yeah, I'm pretty excited about the 1-1 one, one renewals, I have to tell you. right? I think one of the things that we do for all our brokers is we do first come, first served. So provided it's a legitimate uh, quote, um, we'll log those quotes for our brokers and that will defend them, you know, against anybody else attacking their clients. Um, so we, we 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 work with them around starting now, really, to make sure they've got their accounts defended, that we know exactly what we're quoting. Um, I think reinsurance is still increasing. The reinsurance market is still rising, particularly in the property space, and I think it will do for some time. And that is going to create that problem, you know, that 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 I'm spending loads of money on insurance. I don't have many claims. Why are you asking me for an increase? Mm-hmm. And and if you want to defend that client, we've got the answer. But also, if you want to attack that client and go win them, I think we've got the answer. Nice, good deal. Yeah. Well, what have we missed, man? Um. My email address is That's Jeff. what I was gonna. Yeah, was gonna, go. that, that, I always end up with. Sure. <laughs> I always end up with how can they get a hold of you? But I think we pretty much covered about what we can cover without them reaching out to have that next conversation. So before we wrap up, Andy, how about giving them the best way to get a hold of you if they have a, an account that they think makes sense to talk to you about? Sure. So my email address is Jex J E X at I hyphen re R E dot insure and if you'd like to find out some more about the repaid product you can check out our repaid website which is re re hyphen paid.com there you go there you go yeah you heard it from the man gentlemen it was a real pleasure thank you appreciate yes, it yes sir absolutely sure. listen make sure if you're listening to this you heard everything that we said if you don't think that you did go back and listen again here's what i heard though you have a differentiator in a hard market that not a lot of other people have understand or are willing to use and broach the subject on. Number two, this is not designed for your garbage accounts that you just are looking for a home for before you send them to the last resort. Print out your book of business, draw a line at the top 20% and start there. Then look at the corresponding loss ratios to determine whether or not they're going to be a fit based on what you heard Andy say. 20% or better loss ratio, probably a really good time to have a conversation with him. 25% may want to have the conversation, can't guarantee that it's going to get anywhere. And if you start getting north of 30, 40%, it doesn't make sense to have the conversation. That person's not ready because they don't have the controls in place. The other thing is make sure that if you are going to have that conversation, that you come prepared. Don't just say, hey, I got an idea for something. Maybe have data. Have something to back it up. Give Andy the opportunity and his team the opportunity to say yes to you. Don't make it easy for them to say no. Give them every ounce of information you possibly can have and then go from there. If you've never put together a program, if you've never put together a captive, 
then you might not understand this, but I can tell you the underwriting and the actuarial work that goes into this stuff is significant. And the more data that you have that can prove your case, the better your chances of proving your case. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. Andy's giving you his web address. He's giving you his email. Everybody have a great week. Andy, thanks so much for being on. We'll catch you guys next time. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. <laughs>